Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Morris. I'm Jason Hazley. As usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is Tony Way. Good morning. Hi, Tony. Hello. Tony's done loads of comedy. He is a face of comedy. Uh, he's known for his work with Vic and Bob on Shooting Stars and Bang Bang, Fast Show, Brian Pern, Black Books. And he's also done big Hollywood movies like Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. And he's been in Game of Thrones, where he lasted a surprisingly long time. You're missing out that I worked for Ian Bill in the chip shop in EastEnders as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's my main claim to fame. I believe you missed that one. Adam Wood. Is someone who continually fascinates us because yeah. Adam Woodyat has had one job and it's Ian Beale. Yeah, he basically works at a factory or yeah. like yeah. a bank. Yeah. Job for life. Job for life. Yeah. Imagine the gold watch he'll get when he retires. And he had his weird photography, but I mean, this is not a podcast. But Adam Woodyat is not my choice. <laughs> <laughs> you're going, you're going on Woodyat pods next week, aren't <laughs> you? Um, he got into photography because that often happens with people who are in those things. He really needed a. Like being in EastEnders is probably good enough, but yeah. he clearly felt he hadn't stretched himself so he takes photographs they're quite good actually who does the little beauty of men tilt shift photos yeah he does that sort of thing he's clearly seen some of that and he he knows how to do it so he does that on the screen they're quite good pictures oh cool I mean EastEnders is hard work isn't it two weeks I did it it was like genuinely like working at a factory everyone wanted to just go home they go in put a shift in everyone drives themselves as well which is quite rare for film 
on TV. No one gets driven to the lot? No, apart wow. from Dot, uh, June Brown. <laughs> Who's got a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> she the Dot Scopter. Yeah, they, they brought back Concord for Dot. <laughs> she once asked me to dance, June Brown. Of course she did. Yeah, I was in the bar at Earl's Tree, um, and there were a load of EastEnders cast in there, and uh, she came over to me and said, would you like to dance, dear? And I can't dance, so I had to really, really ungallantly turn her down. I missed out <laughs> dancing with June Brown. Because she can definitely dance, can't she? Oh, she knows she can I mean, it, it would have yeah. been so... I can't believe I couldn't have just, you know, taken 10 minutes out to learn a dance quickly. <laughs> Lightning never strikes twice. She never asked you again? No. no. Oh, and you, in a similar it. theme, Dame... Di- Di- what's the swearing policy on this book? As much as you like for it. Dame Diana Rigg called me a cunt. To my face. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best thing an older lady has ever said to me. <laughs> what have you done to her? She's very good at backgammon. This was mm. in a green room filming on Game of Thrones. And I beat her a couple of times, but I was playing badly. I was so like 50% luck, isn't it, backgammon? And I beat her, and someone said, oh, how are you doing? And she went, I'm doing fine, but this cunt keeps cheating and beating oh, me. The power the best thing that ever happened to me. Of a dame's swearing. Yeah, so we were playing it on, a, uh, on an iPad, uh, the backgammon, and she, you have to put your name in, and she goes as DD, Dame Diana. That's what she puts for everything. Wow. I love that she's got the equivalent of when I was a kid, I had a, a three initials for Space Invaders that were mine. <laughs> I like the fact that she's got that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Tony has yes. uh, brought in for us to uh, look at today on Rule of Three uh, a film, uh, which is quite nice because we're talking about film and glamour and, and yeah. being sworn at by dames. Um, <laughs> what have you brought for us to have a look at? Well, it's Trading Places, the uh, 1983 John Landis movie, comedy, Wall Street thriller style film it's a bit of everything it's not just that film it's a collection of films I watched when I was far too young to watch them so Trading Place is the main one but there was also American Wealth in London another Landis Blues Brothers another Landis and then around those was Beverly Hills Cop and weirdly First Blood the original Rambo film my first resonance for those is, is video shops yes so they were definitely from an era where you didn't own them or necessarily see them on TV because no. they were on so quite late were these you'd yeah. them out I could never quite work out so we had a very good VCR very early on in our house and I never quite knew where it came from all I know is the front was slightly smashed in <laughs> which made me think it wasn't I don't know how we got it we lived on quite a rough estate in film wars until I was about eight so this is how young I'm talking though I mean I'm, these films are all 18 15 yeah. at least and I was I obviously wasn't watching them when they all first came out it would have been a little bit along into the 80s but I was very young. Sort of in my mind, they go together with the young ones being on TV. Yeah. So that sort of time. or yeah. But we also had to get it very hard to because all of these were recorded from the TV or they were recorded from somewhere. Once again, I don't know where yeah. they came from. But like our Blues Brothers, which I watched endlessly, I never saw the ending, apart from when it was on TV because the ending was missed off the end of the day. <laughs> Brilliant. So I never quite... Saw, I saw as far as them all getting arrested, but I never saw the big finale in the prison where they're all playing I never knew that was at the end of that film well there's a similar thing with so Beverly Hills Cop I'd seen although once again I was far too young there's a swearing mostly with those things there's a bit of violence mm. but it's mostly there's so much swearing which my parents clearly didn't care or didn't know what I was watching but that film I, my, I never didn't own Beverly Hills Cop my friend Moema did who used to live halfway home from school to me and I would go to his maybe for some food and we would watch Beverly Hills Cop well, I was only allowed to go around there for an hour, so I'd watch Beverly Hills Cop for an hour. First of all, we'd watch the, the trailer for Beverly Hills Cop 2 <laughs> ten times. <laughs> then we would watch Beverly Hills Cop for an hour. Then I'd go home, not seeing the end. And then the next day I'd go around there. Instead of watching it from where we left off, I'd start again. And we'd watch Beverly Hills Cop 2 trailer <laughs> about ten times. So I knew the first hour of that film, like the back of my hand. But Trading Place was the one that absolutely would just be on every day if I could have watched it. 
I had the most absurd nightmare. I was poor and no one liked me. Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy are trading places. Help! Help! Anna wants your bag, man. Well, it's regarded incredible. I mean, of that of that bunch of films. I mean, American Werewolf gets a good uh, rap. Yeah. Of that period of of adult American star vehicle comedies, mm. it's the one that's probably the best regarded. It's the one that gets yeah. in the AFI and the BFI yeah, top hundred comedies yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. This it's, is the first wave of these. patch for Landis of between sort of seventy eight to eighty three, I think it is. But if you discount the seventy eight one, because that's National Lampoon, it's slightly different. Yeah. yeah. So let's say 80 to 83, he's just made nothing but good stuff. I mean, like, amazing, three or four amazing films. So, I mean, what did these films mean to you when you were growing up? Previously, I imagine your exposure to comedy would have been mainly British? Yeah, it was absolutely British. It was audio, quite a lot of it. It would have been on TV, it was... I can never quite work out when the repeats would have happened, but I feel like 40 Towers was repeated. Yeah. Because uh, I remember, either that or we had a tape, and I remember the young ones being on and being far too young for it, but adoring that. My sister loved it even more. To the point where she would go around shouting, I must stop sniffing this Ajax. She was like four. <laughs> and my mum and dad have to explain to her, you can't. That's just because she actually loved Vivian. Yeah. Because Vivian is a toddler, basically. Yeah. Like yeah. A, yeah. And she just thought, like, anarchic. Like, that's exactly what the three or four-year-old was. And she started headbutting people. So, yes. You're right, about, you're right about Vivian being a toddler. That he never, is, that's never the, occurred to me. That's a very around, good point. Yeah, stamping his feet, shouting, doing what I he wants. Yeah. And also, he's got, yeah. he's got kids' logic. When the, the cord from the TV won't reach the plug socket he goes outside and moves the house yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, the hardest way possible yeah. but yeah the logic's there so before this sort of wave of American VHS's <laughs> arrived was it a shock to see this sort of comedy or what was it that what was it that um, made you watch say Beverly Hills Cop a hundred times so I think that I think kids do that anyway I think little kids love yep. to it, it doesn't even have to be something that's very good always it's no. just they love uh, routine I mean I don't have children but they, they love the same bedtime story over yeah. and over and over Tell again. Tell me again, again, yeah, again. Exactly. Yeah. And they like their meals at the right same. I mean, I am a toddler too. I like to eat regularly, <laughs> watch the same stuff. But, but it wasn't like it was one and then the other. I feel like it was mixed together. I feel like there was British comedy first, but it was definitely in tandem. There was a battle, constant battle, between whether I could watch... At the two extremes was my sister wanting to watch Dirty Dancing, which is a little bit later, and me wanting to watch First Blood. <laughs> and in the middle was this safe common ground of trading places and all these comedy films that we both loved. I think, well, Very Well for London is probably a bit scary for my little sister. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I was far too young to watch that too. But then I watched it all, I just saw the comedy in it always more yeah. than the horror. I was never scared of these films. It's a strange thing with all that concern there was about video nasties and censorship mm. and the power of the BBFC and certificates and, and the, the watershed. Mm. So it seemed to be this huge thing that, that the whole of the 80s was about there's this huge influx of entertainment and the next thing we have to do is put a tap on it and stop kids getting access yeah. to the wrong stuff. But anyone who grew up in the 80s was relentlessly watching the wrong stuff. Sure, yeah. That they were too young for. The, the taping, that was the big thing. You could tape stuff. So it didn't matter what yeah. time it was on. It didn't matter how much restriction. Yeah. If the tape was knocking about, you can watch it. My mum and dad didn't know how to set the video player very well, so it was probably me that was going to do You that. own the technology. Yeah, pretty much. And I think that is a thing that everyone's absolutely terrified of. No, it's the beginnings of what are children looking at on the internet, isn't yeah. it? It's, it starts yeah. with, oh shit, they can tape stuff that's on at midnight. When it was on at midnight, it was inaccessible to yeah, and, kids didn't have a TV in their room. Yeah, so, so I, think my, I think at some point in the 80s, I probably got a really old black and white telly in my room <laughs> that 
work now and again and then yeah there's definite control there there's a a thing with all these movies that the first thing you notice I remember about these films and was playground gossip almost before someone said they were really funny was that there was tits and swearing yeah absolutely and what it said is this is grown up and you have now got access to the forbidden knowledge of older cousins of mums and dads yeah yeah that stopped it being rent-a-ghost or granddad because yeah. comedy's silly. The thing that's made it not silly comedy was the fact that there were there were naked breasts in airplane. Mm. That was the talk of the playground. This yeah. is a very breasty film as well, isn't it? Uh, I was I was it's... trying to work out whether it was whether that was a calculation that someone had made of going, Do you know what? We know the sort of people who are gonna like this film. Yes. Let's yeah, make yeah. sure there's plenty of egregious yeah. breast bearing. There's in a it. lot of um you never see the posh ladies' boobs, but you always no. see the that, Yeah, that the... party scene which looks like the cast of fame in a library or something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 So it's still the John Landis that did make Animal House. Yeah. And there's a lot of that going on in this and Monty Python. And the moment that it becomes a bit sort of stag do, mm, yeah, that it yeah. says this is for older kids. I mean, the famous thing in Trading Places that always gets talked about is that it's the first time Jamie Lee Curtis has undressed, which is all so creepy. It's like yeah. a countdown clock. Yeah. It is <laughs> a bit odd, that. Yeah. Oh, she's never done that before. But I don't think that I really... I think that's the thing that's been put on it looking back I think it's actually it's in the film Scream he talks about that Mm. he goes on about how she's the Scream Queen and you don't see her get naked there's a big long sort of yes that's how she survives Tarantino-esque sort of she survives slasher movies because she doesn't get her top off and in this she gets her top off I think that's why people think about that obviously as a kid I didn't really think about that at all I probably just had some strange feelings but the swearing I thought and I still do think was fucking hilarious there's one particular use of the word fuck it's fuck off actually Actually, and it's comes from Paul Gleason, who it's plays the phone box, He's isn't my favourite character in the He's <laughs> extraordinary. I anticipate penetration and acquisition at 2100 hours tomorrow. Hold on. Fuck off. Do you know what I thought? I'm glad you'd mentioned him because. So the first thing to say is that this is absolutely an, an Eddie Murphy film. He mm-hmm. carries the whole film. He's yeah. brilliant in it. But Paul Gleeson, wow, yeah. wow, what a performance he to, turns in here. Big mentions for Paul Gleeson and Denim Elliott. Basically, as a character guest actor myself, if I could get, I don't know, a tenth as, as good a appearance as those two do in that film. Yeah. Actually, Karen Speaks isn't in it that much. He gets a really big. In the train, he's in it a lot, but. Yeah. Before that, he probably says ten lines. He yeah. does a little speech, and he, and he, but mostly he's just sort of hanging around in the background. But he makes his presence felt, and he just does all of the best lines. I wonder how many are written. I'm guessing the fuck off was definitely written. That feels like mm. it's too big a setup. To yeah. the whole thing of the scripting in this is is odd as well because clearly Eddie Murphy is going off here and there. Oh yeah, yeah he's not yeah. Beverly Hills Cop levels of improv. But right. I mean, you you beating up on a man, you putting a man in a hospital. How come I don't see no marks on you? Yeah. Because I'm a karate man, all right? Karate man bruise on the inside. They don't show their weaknesses. But you don't know that because you're a big Barry White-looking motherfucker. Now get off my back, all right? But he gets those little solos as well, yes, doesn't he? Like, exactly. the, like the, 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 uh, the karate in the prison yeah, cell. Yeah. Well, that's his stand-up, right? Yeah. He, doing karate and doing Stevie Wonder and all that, yeah. that. He throws that in a lot of his films. I've got an odd relationship with this film. I saw it at the time and didn't like it. Mm. And I was really looking forward to watching it again when you said, let's do Trading Place. So I thought, this is exciting. Okay. <laughs> I'll watch it as an adult. And I'll, all I remember thinking is, as a kid, I watched it. And like a lot of those American movies, I remember thinking, because I was a huge comedy fan as a mm. kid, I remember thinking, these are fun and not very funny. Right, right. Because I think I was expecting everything to be like Monty Python, The Holy Grail, 
or Blazing Saddles. Gag, 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 yeah, gag, yeah. gag, gag. And these felt a bit grown up and they were about stuff. Or yes. Whatever. And I watched it again and I thought the thing that shocked me as a writer is I don't think there are many jokes in this film. It's very um, joke-like, but yeah. the performances are all stratospherically good. Yes, and I yeah, think yeah. the reason you, the reason I enjoyed watching it again was nothing to do with the writing, which I thought was pretty much bog standard. I looked up what the two guys who wrote it wrote. It was Timothy Harris and Herschel uh, Weingrock, Wein- and they yeah, wrote Herschel, yeah. Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Fish Space Jam. Stuff, it? It's pretty vanilla Hollywood product into which you inject enormous stars. Yes. And they bring a baggage of charm and performance that elevates a pretty good perfunctory plot to a high level, which is a lot of what Ealing comedy is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think these are kind of American Ealings. isn't it? It's definitely... I mean, the plot for Trading Places is dense. It's actually a really... It's clever. If Mm. you took it... If it wasn't a comedy, it's Wall Street. It could be Wall Street. It could be... I mean, I don't know if two people swapping jobs can be anything other than a sort of comedy really wrong. but but the the bit the thing they do the confusing ending that no one can quite understand yeah. it's really clever the idea that <laughs> the people are expected to buy into the fact that or know that you can price to sell stuff before you can buy See, it we don't understand it do we well, no I, do, I do understand it now and it's and this is my favorite film one of my favorite films and i've only in the last couple of years really understood it and it all comes down to one line I think it's something like Dan Aykroyd shouts, promise to sell at a certain price in April at a certain yeah. date. Yeah. And then then they buy. So they promise yeah. to sell really high uh, and they promise to buy really low. But it doesn't matter. I mean, the nice yeah, bit. It I, I mean, I've always got it. Classic <laughs> bit of Hollywood scripting. It doesn't matter as long as they have that walk and talk across the plaza yeah, where yeah. he says, you've got to do this and this guy and your kid's future depends on this you go well there's the stakes yes, yes I know yeah, whatever yeah. they do in that room with all the shouting is going to be important and at some point he does what's that great line someone uses as an example of good scripting if those guys break this door down we're dead yeah, they yeah, say yeah. roughly that yeah. so you go oh right well I'll wait it's for the, the clunkiest bit of the whole film yeah, it yeah, is there's like, a lot of exposition going of, on there yeah of ADR no one's going to understand what's yeah, going yeah. on you landed to dish up the useful thing of going I'm just going to show you some numbers and they're going to go down so yeah, you can yeah. hang on to that and go oh okay they're losing money and they do say every now and again Good, it's going down, bad, it's going up. <laughs> it's now illegal to that sort of insider information. To damage the Dukes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they call it the Eddie Murphy rule in really? Wall Street, yeah. Really? Because that's what they all used to do. That is a dynamite fact. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You don't really have to understand. I mean, they do talk, but the scene, one of the funniest scenes in it that comes early on is where they tell Eddie Murphy what his job is. And it is yeah. so. It's the performances all round. It's got the, first, the one and only look to camera. I think in that. Scene, oh, where they, that is. Oh, where God. they say which you would find in a bacon lettuce tomato sandwich, and Eddie Murphy just looked at the camera. <laughs> that is, that is such a funny moment. I yeah. went back and watched that three times and thought, this is this tells you something about this film. This tells you that it's Eddie Murphy's film because he is allowed to break yeah. the fourth yes. wall yeah. in character. That, that look just tells you just everything. This is wonderful. Like, this is what it's like being a black man in a yeah. white man's yeah. world. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. It's just every. It explains the whole. Thing. Oddly, it being one of his film probably means that unlike there are lots of films from the eighties that are what they call problematic. Now you look mm. back and you go, the politics, the race politics, the gender politics is difficult. And this one, people are not usually that harsh on because I think Eddie Murphy runs the show. Well, so it's it's a film about class as well, which yes. is very rare for an American film. Yes. They don't believe they have it. They certainly didn't then. It was. I mean, now if you talked about what it's like to be yeah. an American, it's very confusing and. 
depressing. Well, the, well, the Dukes do look like members of the uh, Trump administration. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they absolutely do. And, I mean, to be honest, the, the place where they work, the, the, the club where the, 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 the robbery happens, club, yeah. looks like a really Americanised House of Lords. It looks... It They're called looks, the Dukes. Yeah, exactly. The name yeah. is the club. There's no... The, yeah. It's clearly a sort of Dickensian... The, all the characters are larger than life. And it is. like They just named them the Dukes, like you say. Yeah. They might as well just be called... Hereditary Wells. Posh baddies. <laughs> Ralph Bellamy yeah. and Donna Meech. Donna Meech. Both had yeah. in huge long Hollywood careers yeah. dating back to the 30s, didn't they? Um, Don Amici's picture on IMDb, it looks like it's might, it might as well be a picture of a, an actual photograph of a dinosaur. It's so old. <laughs> and he's got a, like a proper oh pencil thin moustache and he looks like a man. <laughs> it's from a different time. To think that he's in a film with Eddie Murphy is so weird. It's extraordinary. Two films with Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah. Up in the, uh, coming to America. I mean, the reason I mentioned Ealing is it's got a lot of classic values. Mm. For a sort of potty-mouthed 80s yeah. star comedy, it's got pretensions to golden age Hollywood in the plotting and the casting. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But the class thing is also very important because it's, it's not... It's If you replace... In America, it's often if you replace class with race, they yeah. get yeah. what our deal is with class. Yeah. yeah. But they go further than that. And there is a class divide in America and they, they show it very clearly. The only times all those shots of Philly where it's just there's a, there's a book Butcher's shop, there's a fish yeah, yeah. shop, yeah. there's people on the streets, there's a bum, and then suddenly there's a Rolls Royce and a butler coming out. Yeah, yeah. And, and picking up the newspaper. There's some really good uses of just imagery as well in that. Like when Lewis gets arrested, there's these absolutely silent shots of pictures of the old members of the club all looking down, looking yep. grumpy and yeah. <laughs> disappointed. There's lots especially. of statues as well, aren't there? Yeah, there loads yeah. of just locked off shots yeah. of statues. It's a Philadelphia film. I don't really know what that means as a Brit that's never been to much of America. But it, it doesn't no, feel no. like New York, it doesn't feel like Which LA. is mad because it's a Wall Street yeah. film. Well, they end up in New York. They end up in New York. They end up at the World Trade Centre, actually, don't yes, they? they? I was do. forgot, yeah. Looking at that again, I've forgotten. Because there. we associate that with something absolutely unthinkable, yeah, yeah. you forget what a beautiful pair of buildings they yeah, were. They yeah. were really lovely. Yeah. Probably the only recognisable financial building, I'd say. I, I don't, if you put yeah. up the bank, a picture of the Bank of England, you probably wouldn't. Well, necessarily so, get it straight it's away. Such a fugly building, isn't it? The yeah. Bank of England, just a <laughs> windowless, <laughs> awful thing. Wasn't yeah. it? Wasn't it? Didn't someone build an extra skin round the Bank of England? Yeah. Isn't it? Oh, two buildings, surprised. one they, on top of the other. They do that a lot in that bit of the city, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Americans always think that the Royal Exchange next to it yeah. is the Bank of England. So did I growing up. It's, I went, much better I, well, that's, it's just full of shit, shit, expensive watches. Though the Royal Exchange. <laughs> I'm never a shame. It I should be something nicer in there. I have never been in there. I found out about a year ago that it's a shopping centre. Yeah. And my wife said, "You can go in there." And I went, "No, I can't." <laughs> and I genuinely have grown up thinking that is a shopping centre that I'm not allowed in yeah, because really, it's too yeah. posh. So you're getting in touch with your inner Billy Ray Valentine. Oh, yeah. there, aren't you? I know I'm not allowed in there. Obviously, as, <laughs> as a as a black man, I can I feel, <laughs> I feel that pressure. <laughs> so Eddie Murphy, right? He's I couldn't get exactly accurate this, but he's either 21 or 22 when he's making right. this film. That's terrifying, incredible. Oh what I mean, what a performance for a 21 yeah, yeah. or 22 year old man to, so to dish up. I mean, incredible. he was a superstar. Um, Stand up by that point. Yeah, the bravery there, the balls to do that in front of a. This film is a big film. I've worked on a big film where you are suddenly asked to come up with something. For some right. reason, the bigger the film, the less they do on the script. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but they kind of. I think they've just got money to burn, so they'll kind of just go. I'll be fine. We'll just get the cameras rolling. But I, when someone a director comes up to you and there are three hundred people stood around you, and all he's saying is, "What sort of look would you do here?" When you have to then just sort 
do that it's fucking terrifying the thought that he just did that in probably in front of a similar sized crew and just said oh, I'll just make up a stand up routine wow. yeah, yeah, it'll probably yeah. be good it'll be better than anything that's been written and yeah he's definitely firing on for all I think you, cylinders you underrate that when people talk about I mean obviously as a writer I always find it slightly annoying when every actor insists they made up every oh. line on, on set but when a director allows improvisation or is loose like the sort of the Judd Apatow kind of yeah. Paul Feige films and they make such a big deal of it I think as an outsider you think well what's the big deal some funny people yeah, but yeah. what you're not thinking of is put yourself in their position put that crew there and put the money ticking away in the background oh absolutely yeah, you yeah. would freeze so if yeah. you get someone who's like a, a, a Steve Carell or someone who can do it mm. they're quite a valuable commodity and even then it can go badly wrong I mean I watched the Anchorman the, uh, the other day and that works it really works but you having watched it now a few times you can really see that tons of the scenes from a cinematographer's point of view it's disgusting <laughs> because it's all it's all single shots yeah when I first saw it I probably didn't I was just laughing too much but there's shots of Steve Carell shots of each one of them and you can tell it's the tenth you know it's just the funniest one they chose in the edit and it's always a locked off solo shot Really, and then they'll just cut to the wide after. Yeah, the comedy director I always really rate because no one ever talks about him is Terry Jones, and they're all two shots. Yeah, they yeah. are two people who have best friends mm. making each other laugh, and he locks his two shots. It's a sketch, isn't it? You shoot yeah. a sketch in a two. But they've all Brilliant. practiced and they've timed it, and you go, "That's why it's funny. It's got yeah, the air yeah. in it of a, of a live performance." I think a loose two is. I mean, it's the the office, isn't it? It's the office. It's yeah. all of those things. It is documentary in the fact that it's just documenting something funny that's happening. The minute you have to crash in, it's always. Whenever I've written, it's all. I'm always loath to write. You know, close up of to yeah. reveal the joke. It's not. It's sometimes you have to do it, but it's never the most satisfying way for a joke. It might, it might yeah. be why those American films, those, those very, very improvised and then edited films, feel a little bit airless. Yeah, I mean, the, the worst I've seen of it is, it's another Will Ferrell film, it's um, Racing Driver, Talladega Nights. Yeah. So that's, once again, it's fine. It, it's funny, I, I find Will Ferrell very funny all the yeah. time. But there's a scene, they keep building up Sasha Baron Cohen as the sort of rival European, and he's funny in it too. But there's a scene where they both meet and they go off for a walk and talk to each other and sort of try and best each other. And the whole thing is disgusting to look at because it's just these two really weird close-ups. Wow. You never see them together and they're clearly just saying the funniest things they can. So there's no dialogue. It's just two people trying to be funnier than each other and it just doesn't work in a <laughs> film that does. You both, we've all worked on uh, Murder and Success films. Yeah. It's much lower stakes than these films <laughs> we're talking about. But you have to write scripts that are absolutely watertight when we go to film them you do go off and Tom definitely goes off but if you don't have the anchor yeah. it doesn't work and I think Trading Places does do that because there's a financial thriller at its heart I'm now thinking about Trading Places and thinking as a director there's it's all two shots yeah yeah and it's all yeah. three shots and you're watching Denim Elliott and Dan Aykroyd you don't miss anything Curtis. why would you they're really yeah. charming it's there's some lovely shots with the four of them where they're yeah. playing like a sitcom it's like watching Friends it's yeah, yeah. like a like a lovely sitcom and the reason I'm loving it yeah. is those four warm performers are giving so much energy to the way they're talking and underneath it the little plot's motoring yeah, and yeah. I wonder also I wonder whether there is actually a skill in being able to deliver a screenplay like this which has got all the story bolted into place all the characters identified but as a loud enough space yeah, so that someone yeah. like Eddie Murphy Absolutely. can go I'm just yeah. going to go off and do a guitar solo at this Absolutely. point Absolutely you know? I mean and famously in Beverly Hills Cop 
it's not a comedy. That film script is not a comedy Just film thriller. script. It was an actual thriller written for Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone fucked about the script too much, and then they got in this young black stand-up comedian, complete opposite to Sylvester Stallone, who then went, I'm just going to do a load of jokes. This script's no good. <laughs> and that's why Beverly Hills Cop is a comedy with loads of violence and a properly good sort of criminal plot to it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. They're films. They're just films. They're, yeah. they're action films. They're thrillers. There's 48 hours, and there's loads of these act- Ghostbusters. Well, to Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters as well. are proper special effects movie yeah. into which you've injected Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Before Bill Murray, I mean, the, the rumours about the original script for Ghostbusters are sort of legendary. I think it exists somewhere, but it's like a <laughs> three or four hundred page paranormal essay. Because Dan Aykroyd was obsessed with it. He believed wow. it's all true. Apparently it is unfucking filmable and unreadable. It's like loads of technical jargon about the machines they'd use and it goes on and on and on. And then they read that Bill Murray would turn up on the day and go, no. Yeah. <laughs> Ghostbusters would be added to this list as well of yeah. these films that, that absolutely... I, I can't tell you how much I watch these, by the way. I, I watch them all at least once a week, sometimes more. Wow. wow. On a loop, just over and over. I knew the words to... What do you learn from it? Do you learn rhythm? And, I mean, I imagine as a performer, these are going to be in your DNA. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I think definitely, like I say, my, I, this is very telling. My favourite people are Denham Elliott and... Paul 
Paul Gleason. Yeah. I mean, probably not straight away, but that's why once you've seen a film a thousand times in a month, you know, <laughs> you start to pick up on the tiny little details. The other thing, let's just go back to that joke thing, because it's not, I don't know what you'd call them. They're not jokes, but they're weird ways of saying things in this film. There's a lot of um, jerky beef instead of beef jerky and a lot of them were Paul Gleason and he says there's a moment where he says no please which I don't think I've ever heard <laughs> they're not jokes but they're really they're some, I don't know what you'd call them they're just odd way of phrasing well, things well actually that's something Merry New Year and things like that there's all these oh, yeah. I find that stuff fascinating because I think that's key to a lot of these films and TV show success is having a voice you can copy yeah, yeah. so you can do it so it becomes catchphrases but Bill and Ted which I loved, is just a funny way of talking. And also the way they talk, Bill and Ted, is very, it's so much stranger than um, than you realise. They say most heinous and yeah. things like that. And you, I don't, when you think of it, well, what, they're getting the word wrong or what's, they don't understand what they're saying. Are they are reading Byron or something? Well, no, you know? Ed, Ed Solomon, who wrote it, who's, wrote, Ed Solomon wrote Bill and Ted and Men in Black, and he's good, he's good at these kind of movies, big mm. gag action movies with proper plots. Um, and he said they were supposed to be like Damon Runyon. Oh, Bill and Ted. Oh, they were supposed oh, to be like right. sort of 30s, almost Edwardian ah, hipsters. Right, okay. He said there's a bit of valley speak in right. there, but he said the fact they use these elaborate polysyllabic words yeah, yeah. Which they were supposed to be it's supposed to be like guys and dolls right I see <laughs> I had no idea but anyway going back to what you asked yeah. yes I think they, it does affect the way I've performed now because I'm not trained at all so I only go by what I've seen when I'm acting it's what I sort of have learned from other people or seen on stuff but it is telling that my favourite characters are bit part players <laughs> yeah, because that's my stock in trade let's well let's talk about them because they're because they are two great characters mm. as well like Denim Elliot it occurred to me that Coleman is a really genial human being isn't he yeah, you yeah. Know? and yeah. he's happy to go along with some fairly morally contemptuous things but he's being a very nice guy yeah. at all times and he's got the part that has become a joke in itself yeah. amongst famous British yes. actors is you get to play the English butler, butler in an Ameri big American thing yeah. also the thing he gets to do is be the first person Person that shows any sort of open distaste for the Dukes. Yes. He's very clear he doesn't like them. Not to their face, but on the phone. He's not sneering though, which is good, because often the British actor playing that part would be a bit sneery and snooty about it. There's a class thing going on there, because obviously he represents the top class. Yes. But he's aware that the Dukes aren't very classy. Yeah. So yeah. it's almost like saying to a real British gentleman, yes, those yeah, people yeah. are imposters yeah. there, they, they're a bit brash. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also the, the thing of the butler knows best. It's a Jeeves and Worcester yes, thing, isn't yeah. it? They, know, they really know all which is from, etiquette. That's from Roman comedy. Oh, right, right. It's yeah, the yeah. idea of the master and the servant being the other way around, which is right. what P.G. Woodhouse borrowed for Jeeves and Worcester. Gotcha. The, which is what's in Up Pompeii, the servant knows all. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the idea is that yeah. the wise servant is, a, is thousands of years old yeah. as a good gag. Yeah, yeah. Which is why the why the film starts with the music from the Marriage of Figaro because yes. that's the plot of the Marriage of Figaro. It's the Easy. yeah, it's the servant stealing the boss's wife. Oh, so no it's an allusion to that. And, and obviously, obviously it's all score is, is based on the uh, on the on the Marriage of Figaro. Right, actually. I had no idea. Because it's all about reversing status. So again, yeah. it is a comedy of mm -hmm. class. So yeah. it's saying what would happen if we flip this over? What's surprising is my first reaction to being given that as a plot that you're going to flip over notions of class mm. and you're going to swap Prince and the Pauper, you're going to do that plot line, is there'd be loads of fish out of water. And actually, this is quite light on fish yeah, out of water. Is. Compared to, like, Crocodile Dundee or well, something. It, gives, it weirdly gives them the characters their due. It, it doesn't... Yeah, just because yeah. he's 
poor and comes from where he comes from and he starts off as he's probably he's a criminal at the beginning it's very light crime he's yeah but he's, enterpri- he's enterprising yeah, he's enterprising he? and, and that's sort of why Don Amici's Duke brother wins the bet at the end of the day yeah. he, he's right it, although it turns out he is evil as well which I never quite got to grips with <laughs> how does he get to win and he, he, yeah he just suddenly goes oh no I, I don't want a black person you know he is racist too even though he yeah, absolutely yeah. believes in uh, nurture over nature throughout the film he suddenly at the end I think it must be an appearance and a snobbery thing that he oddly what he's saying is it just occurred to me now it's an incredibly subversive thing for America mm. to say that the people at the top could be anybody because yeah, obviously yeah. the American myth is that anybody could be president well that's the American dream yeah. but it also comes with a great dollop of meritocracy that if you have got the money which is how Trump works mm. that somehow you are better that yeah, you were yeah. always destined to have that money anyone's supposed to be able to get to the top but if you are at the top then you were chosen by God to be there Yeah. and this film says well no we don't agree that's true which is odd because there's two films I think of when I think of this film and that's Brewster's Millions and uh, Million Pound Note Bruce's Millions same screenwriters ah well mm. there you go they, so they, they wrote all of the sort of spot films <laughs> the, the, the Million Pound Note which is so British and old weirdly it's the opposite is the truth right. at the heart of the film it's that if anyone's got a Million Pound Note they will then never have to spend any money in Britain oh, right. and be treated like royalty even though it's this great big sort of hick American guy that gets given the Million Pound Note you'd think that the British film would say right even if you've got money you clearly it's new money because you're American and we'll treat you slightly badly Right. He gets treated absolutely fine. He's treated like a gentleman. He gets given the best suits and everyone looks after him. I rewatched Crocodile Dundee a few weeks ago. <laughs> the thing that really blew my mind is that, do you know when he arrives in America, it's an hour into the film. Right, yeah, oh yeah. God. That's mad. Now, I thought it was a fish-out-of-water film, which was him not being able to cope with the city. Yeah. But it's not. It's her not being able to cope with the outback, first of all, and then him not being yeah, able to cope yeah, with the right. city. So the first half of the film is hers, basically. Yeah. Something I'd completely forgotten. Sometimes these films... What you remember about them, the setup is the second part of the film. Yeah. I was really surprised about how long. I, I looked at my watch. It's ten minutes before Eddie Murphy appears. Hmm. So your first big comic riff. It's a pretty straight movie about Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. Ten minutes in, you get your first stunt riff yeah, from Eddie yeah. Murphy. So I went, ten minutes is a long time to wait to see your big star. Absolutely. And then the actual swap is nearly an hour in. Yeah. Actually, weirdly, about an hour in is I'm a big horror fan. Usually the appearance of the monster. It's your first appearance of the shark. Right. It's where the alien bursts out. I mean, you remember this as a swap. <laughs> film but for the first hour yeah, they're not yeah. swapped no not at all it's a character film as well I mean it's too because we keep saying how great these this lot of, but then Aquad is brilliant in it too yeah and mm. it's great that he allows although they barely meet until yeah. well even longer than that they, they pass each other in the street but if they were on screen together more it would have given the performance of Dan Aykroyd it probably wouldn't have sent him the right way of his performance because yeah. he yeah. slowly goes mad by the end of it he's huge in it but he's yeah. amazingly restrained at the beginning yeah. I, again it's not something you expect from an SNL performer no, no. at this period and it, there were, I, I don't know if this is true or not but I remember reading that this was maybe supposed to be a, a, an Aykroyd Belushi film as well like he was supposed to be in Ghostbusters he was yeah. supposed to be yeah. filming in Ghostbusters there's a lot of these films that have someone dropped in to replace Belushi. Yeah, exactly. There's a Belushi-shaped hole in yeah. the middle well, there of is, American even more, even bigger when you see the other Belushi. Belushi later turns on. <laughs> We've got one. You realise what a yeah. big hole it is to fill. <laughs> Let's 
do cameos while we're here because yeah, yeah, yeah. Bo Diddley is the pawnbroker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sensational. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one, and I, because I went, hang on, that's him. It's the station master who says, um, there's a tranquilizer gun in the first aid kit. The and, I of went, and I went, man. oh, it's Stephen Stucker. It's the guy from Airplane. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, Johnny yeah, yeah. from Airplane. Yeah. Airplane is drama. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? Well, I can make cap or a bro, or pterodactyl. You're talking about bit part actors and, and comic support people that so much of comedy cinema, whether it's British or American, relies on those shoulders. A little yeah. rep company of people who can come along yeah, and yeah. will absolutely knock it out of the park. Airplane is action. Bad news, fog is getting thicker. And Leon's getting larger. And they're not the big star who made the film, but the reason you're watching, but Carry On films are basically all the bit part players from British cinema, all putting a film together as a big Avengers-style team-up. Anyone who's got a tick or a, a shtick gets together. I mean, since we've got to that train, there is a point in this film where it goes absolutely <laughs> fucking insane. It yes. loses. I mean, it's oh, been so God. restrained to that point. There's been sort of sketchy moments and bits looking to camera now and again, but the train is just mad. You remember me? It's Lionel Joseph. Lionel! From the African Education Conference, right? Yes, Simon. I was director of cultural events at the Haile Selassie Pavilion. When it hits the train, that's the film I was kind of expecting, a kind of crazy antic series of sketches. Yeah, yeah. And they're shit. And at that point, I went, do you know what? They, they made the right decision yeah. to go with something classy, something like the man in the white suit, yeah, a classy, yeah. Ealing, high-concept yeah. character piece. All of the jokes are in that bit. And they're not um, as good. They're not always as good, no. Yeah. Although, as a kid, they were probably my favourite scenes were on the train, because it well, gets April. really... April, <laughs> that. Yeah, there is... I thought we mustn't think too hard about this, because we are actually allowing a person to be raped by I mean, a gorilla. It's not just that. It's like, suddenly, from this thing that's been a really fairly straightforward job swap comedy, they all, one dresses up as an Irish priest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Someone dresses up as, a, as, as an African Cameroonian prince. Cameroonian prince. prince. Yep. One blacks up as a Rastafarian. And oh dear. Jamie just disguises herself as a pair of breasts. Pair of breasts. Oh no, a German pair of breasts. Yeah. But it Swedish. has got Swedish. Swedish. some of the best. That I would agree is awful if you did didn't have Clarence Beek's reaction to it. Yes. Of just knowing the sec... He doesn't even pretend that he doesn't know who they all are the second they walk in. Yeah. That's why I forgive that scene. I don't know how they cooked up that plan. I don't know how it that came about. It doesn't seem to help. I don't know where the costumes came from. <laughs> if you delve too deeply into it, it that's goes the very most. Bad. That's the most SNL bit, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I suppose it's the kind of oh, it's uh, as soon as I saw silly costumes in corridors, I thought, oh fuck, it's that trope again. Isn't yeah, it? it's yeah. costumes in corridors. Yeah. Here we go. I mean, I did love it when I was a kid, but it's over very quickly. You get yes. it's all gone. Also, and then it's back to the plot. But, but by that but, point as well, you will watch those guys do anything because you yeah, like absolutely. them. There's a bit of that going. I will watch them do a series of riffs because not only do I like those performers. I like those characters. Yeah. And yeah, I want yeah. to see them muck about. And this, this stuff between um, the little catchphrases they have in there are all funny in their own right. They're just in this film come from absolutely <laughs> nowhere. I mean, it's just Paul Gleason makes it again. He makes this whole film. It's got some of the best lines for me in that scene. Um, I'll rip monkey, out your eyes and piss on your piss brain. Piss on your brain. <laughs> yeah. um, Jim Belushi gets a great one, which is, Monkey, I'm a fucking gorilla clown, talking to a man dressed as a clown. That always makes me laugh. That's where he says no please as well, which I still don't understand. He must have made up. Would you like some beer? 
beef jerky. No, please. It's so strange. <laughs> you're watching the supporting cast's reaction. You're throwing to their faces. One of the things you can learn from those scenes is that the reaction of the of the supporting players is where most of the comedy and the charm is. And you can steal huge chunks of a film, even if your character wasn't given any lines. The thing I've learned working with bigger names and famous people is the thing you probably do is you just keep yourself to yourself and let them do it the way they're going to do it. But then once you've warmed up, yes, you can. You can. Often you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> just because there's a script doesn't mean that the person who's really famous is going to come and do that. That's the thing, exactly as, as you expect. Things can change, especially if they are the exec or they own the company or, you know, there's lots of that these days. So, yeah, you, I think first of all, you have to do the job. You have to feel it, I think. Because some people really won't appreciate you doing too much good stuff yeah. <laughs> when they they think they're doing the good stuff. What are, what are the politics of upstaging like? Um, don't do it, basically. Have you ever seen it happen from someone who was just naive, perhaps? Yeah, I think, yes, and often it doesn't work. Often they come off as showing off on screen. Yeah. And probably be cut. If, yeah. if you feel like you're having loads of fun and everyone's looking at you you're probably doing it wrong <laughs> you probably should be doing what's right for the script and the scene but then you have to raise your game like if someone comes in and they're huge you can't then you, if you were planning that morning to do it really low-key and naturalistic you have to then change it up yeah and i think that's why as writers you're going to hate this you do have to sometimes throw the script to the side a little bit but then the plan is you know it inside out yeah i've had this conversation with a few people it's been this sort of ongoing jeffrey mcgiven who you both know about mm. this chat with him quite a bit that the old school thing of you some people used to know their lines in the rehearsal room which to me is madness i don't quite understand that but you need to know it inside out and then you earn the right to fuck about with it and then you earn once you've tried it a few times then you earn the right to add a bit or move a bit also it's strange because i am a writer too and i know how to come up with jokes so i feel it doesn't scare me as much. Sometimes some people shouldn't be allowed to. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that improvisation can work if there's a writer nearby or the director's funny. They can steer them in the right direction. I never understand how people that aren't funny can be funny. It's weird. It just means they're better actors than me, I think. But there are some <laughs> really pretending to be a funny person. It's insane. I don't know how they do it. You go, well, I know you're not that funny. I've met you in your life. <laughs> Murphy's performance in this Beverly Hills Cop and Bill Murray's performance in Ghostbusters are right up there just being allowed to, just being let loose yeah. on set I think that they are the gold standard for that yeah. they're and way up there. there's a nice little thing at the very end where they where the, just to take the characters out on the end crawl they use some bits from the cutting room floor yeah, yeah, and you notice yeah. that Eddie Murphy Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis all corpse on their bits and all the older actors don't corpse no, no, at, all. at all because they're <laughs> just doing their job aren't they I think you get one wry smile from, from <laughs> Don, Don Amici but you don't get a laugh you don't yeah. get anything like that no we should talk about Jamie Lee Curtis shouldn't we because yes. uh, there's several iconic moments in this film I've forgotten how many iconic bits it contains like um, the grubby Santa being pissed on by a stray and yeah, then it's yeah. starting to rain. But the restaurant the, scene the Santa through eating, the window. Santa eating smoked salmon through his beard. Yeah. <laughs> seared into my brain. Is the thing that is, that is the, the idea of anything fake hair getting anywhere oh, near oh, my know, mouth I because know. of that scene as a child. I know, it's but like trying so to eat with good. wooden cutlery. Can you eat with wooden cutlery? I just can't no, no, do it. Only chip forks. Can't do it. Forks are fine. Yeah, but but I can do, I have to take, chip, you have to take it off with your teeth, don't you? The other moment that I remembered so clearly was not Jamie Lee Curtis's breasts, but the moment she, Ophelia first takes her 
wig off. Yeah, yeah. And you see Jamie Lee Curtis's hair because I had the same reaction yesterday when I watched it. I went, oh, God, she's so beautiful, yeah. isn't she? Before that, she had only been Scream Queen, teenage girl being chased by a monster. She'd done two Halloweens and the fog, I think, by that point. Yeah. And she's been given um, here what has to be said is a terrible part. Oh, absolutely. Start with a heart. Yeah. And, yeah. But there's no point in this film where you go, she's doing a terrible thing with it. Just the way she's doing it, her performance, her warmth, her realness, mm. even slightly unconvincing stuff. I don't buy the romance with Aykroyd at all. No, it comes it's a little really bit from nowhere. No. But I do because it's her. Yeah, it's so like do, that. do you know what I do buy about that, though? It's right towards the end where she's about to kiss him and she takes her chewing gum out of her mouth and I'm like, she's still chewing gum, <laughs> yeah, isn't yeah. she? She's that good. Yeah. It's a great little touch. I think the thing that you're supposed to buy that it's a lost puppy dog it's like yeah. that, that's the way she's fallen in love with him and yeah. you do get that she's nice she's a nice person yeah. but they fall in love and says she tries <laughs> to stop him from dying of hypothermia yeah. and not well he is a child isn't he yes, you know, at the beginning yeah. of the film he can't make his own breakfast or yeah. shave or yeah, even yeah, open yeah. the door of his car you yeah. know he has to have everything done he's for got him that, he, he really nails that sort of toddler stance as well in it yeah. Sort of yeah. belly out for some reason I love the fact that he was wearing a blue shirt with a white collar because <laughs> I heard someone I, I was trying to remember desperately who it was who said this recently I think it was John Lovett from Pod Save America who said blue shirt with a white collar is code for I do loads of coke <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't heroin, it was angel dust. Yeah. Well, Frank Oz there as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. About, um, God, lovely to see him. And not a cameo as such, but one of my other favourite background characters is the guy that brings the Dukes his, their drinks. Really old black guy. Ezra. Ezra. Yeah. He's so good. Who they give the Christmas bonus. Five dollar Christmas oh, yeah. bonus. <laughs> Half of that is from me. His oh, timing man. on that is amazing. I think I'll go to the movies yeah. by, <laughs> by myself. myself. <laughs> it's just a perfect pause. That, that's a bit of... I get the, the other thing that works with these is the, the characters are big. That's behaviour that would that's in a Mr. Man book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's clarity. Yeah. And, uh, you can then play against but that. I think because of that you then forgive the romance stuff where it's not yeah. quite ringing true. You go, well, this is a comic book at the end of the day. Oh, it's a big morality play it's a big pantomime yeah. which is the room for everyone to muck about in mm. but actually it's not like it's got a Mel Brooks machine gun gag rate to it no not at all it's no, just no, no. actual jokes I mean you could probably count them yeah. on your hands twice like if you had four hands you could probably yeah. count actual proper the one joke that is a proper joke that I didn't know was a joke for years is the, it's when he's in the jail cell Eddie Murphy is mm. and he's going on about how he's a karate man and all of that because mm. none of that's jokes that's just a man mm. being silly yeah. but the two guys that want to kill him one of them <laughs> says it's one of my, another one of my favourite lines once again because it's probably an actual joke says it ain't cool being no jive turkey so close to Thanksgiving and yeah. I never got that joke until well, probably about five years ago. Just now. Genuinely, like, yeah. I just, I can't even get that joke. And there's one of those every 25 minutes. Yeah. Do you see what those characters' names are? <laughs> no, I didn't. On the end titles, they are Big Black Guy and Even Bigger Black Guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says on IMDb. It's like it's like woman wetting herself in threads, you know. It's just one Great of those things. Yeah. <laughs> it does make you wonder what it would have, whether it would have been like that if it wasn't um, Eddie Murphy playing that part. Yeah. I wonder whether they went back through and said, well, we have to make all of these characters black because yeah. he's Eddie Murphy. If it was Belushi, whether it would have been big black guy, bigger black guy, or whether the pimp would have been such a sort of stereotypical, <laughs> you know, shaft. If you get Eddie Murphy, you're definitely going to do a last pass I on the script so. of I think Murphy. You do, up, because his you? stuff is so... He, all of his stand-up at that time is about growing up poor and yeah. black. It's all about mm. that. So, yes, it would be weird if he went to a 
sort of Polish bar or wherever they yeah, shoved. Yeah. I love the fact that um, Dan Aykroyd's character name changes depending on whether he's with the upper class or whether he's with the working class. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Louis yeah. to Ophelia, but he's Louis. Louis means yeah. the third, in fact. To the, uh, to the Dukes. Billy well. Ray Valentine is an insane name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's such a caricature name for that sort of character. And Louis Winthorpe the third is also... Yeah. There's no mucking about. What struck me watching it again was there's a lot of arguments about something... People say stuff like, that's not funny. Mm. And very often they'll go, well, I, I watched that sitcom, mm. radio show, film. There were no jokes in it. Mm. And I think it's a really odd thing to say because if people are reacting to it and loving it and Absolutely. laughing, yeah, yeah. then it's funny. Well, it's really weird to read reviews and read criticism of something to go, I couldn't see any jokes in it. You, go, you look like an idiot when you say that. Yeah. If you said, OK, the new law about comedy, to fund your comedy or to review it well, is I want to count on a little click of the number of jokes that go past. Yeah, yeah. Then you're missing... 90% Absolutely. of what because makes something work. The jokes you're talking about, the jokes we're talking about as in proper jokes are jokes that would work written down and read yeah. without having to say Eddie Murphy saying this, by the way. Because <laughs> mm. in terms of those jokes, there aren't, there aren't really many. Also, I mean, you write loads of cunk. Yeah. Mm. Stuff cunk says is really a joke. It's the shape of a joke it's sometimes. sometimes just uh, saying the f- wrong thing in the yeah. funniest possible way. Yeah. yeah, that's usually what it is. That the whole joke about but her is wrong. I think the wrong. people that criticise the lack of jokes in things would think they are, are jokes. Yeah. Weirdly. Yeah. It's, it's all the, it's all, people don't understand that a joke can be a look, a performance, uh, yeah, an yeah. atmosphere, a sense of sort of, a, f- a feeling of fun. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a really nice one near the front of this film when he's um, uh, when he's just been nabbed in the Heritage Club and he says, uh, is there a lawyer in the house? And all these old <laughs> white guys all look shamefacedly yeah. away because they know they're not going to represent this guy. You know? that's, that's a good yeah, gag. Yeah. It's a great character gag, but yeah. it's not a line, is it? No, no, It's just all. a stage no, direction. No. And part yeah. of that is saying, I want to have a load of people in the background of the shot who will sell that gag. Yeah, it's not yeah. a gag yet. Yeah. There's a lovely one of those in, it's one of my favourite jokes in the first Paddington film, with the, the Geography Club, and gentlemen turn your backs <laughs> on, on the Explorer. <laughs> You're and in it, that, aren't you? No. Oh, no, I've done either Paddington. No, I'll show you What? Oh, you really cut I actually shot. talked to Simon Farnham about it, and he went, oh, you're not in Paddington. I went, no, I'm not. You, you've got the choice. Shh, no, he's inside the bear. He's inside the bear. <laughs> everyone else we know is in that yeah. scene. That's literally yeah. everyone else we know. <laughs> but they phoned up everyone who you'd go, I want that person in that scene, because yeah. when they turn their backs, it's the same as the guys in the club. That joke gets sold on the fact that it's Jeffrey Palmer and Rufus Jones with a pint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gus. Just not Tony Way. Just great faces. <laughs> Tony Way would not be in that scene. <laughs> I mean, for Paddington 3, where it all goes to shit. That's what <laughs> Is I'll that be the one you're going to be in? Paddington in Hawaii, or whatever it'll be. It'll be some... Geographers, turn your backs. I was so pleased by the end of Trading Places as well. I thought, you are definitely going to dish up a really big feel-good ending, aren't yeah, you? And yeah. yet, there it is, yeah. yacht, yeah. Caribbean, it's glass of champagne. From, there's one thing that always slightly gets me. It's that Dan Aykroyd gets the girl. They, they get together, and it, it makes sense. They are now a couple. Coleman has just got a woman who yes. also feels a little bit like... She might be staff, which I feel is a bit bad. <laughs> he's only he's allowed to make. And so Eddie Murphy's just got a woman. There's just two bikini women suddenly. Yeah, uh, yes, I know um, that. that. It wouldn't work if they didn't all have a woman. Yeah, it's like, quite strange. It's that bit of the, it's. It happens in movies. You start to spot it as a trope, but it happens. It's done really badly at the end of uh, Love Actually, where Chris Martin just brings back women to give his friends. <laughs> right. Like, like he's brought them through duty free. <laughs> I don't and remember that. It's because it's that trope. I've seen this hundred times before. Yeah, oddly, yeah. I suddenly went, oh, that looks really weird. 
weird. And yeah. it's very often you give a character a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend and you want to go, hang on, I don't know who... Are they going to be all right? But it's met then. I mean, there's problems in this film with that a bit. Definitely wish fulfilment. I've yeah. been in films where I've seen directors do this, writer directors this, where they clearly just go, so there's the strippers scene. Yes. They go, what do you mean there's the strippers scene? And then there'll just be some strippers doing things strippers don't do, like yeah. dancing with some blokes in a yeah. in their house. In a bar. You go, no, that's... <laughs> do you, you just want you, to you, meet you, some yeah, women? You just wanted to meet, which is always... All, I always find it a bit... I mean, in this, they're prostitutes, they're not strippers, but that's often the, the thing, isn't it? There's the oh, stripper scenes coming up. We wrote a gag well, for Tyson Cloth about that, which was we, we, we'd watch a lot of gangster movies and we realised that the opening shot of any meeting we had Stephen Delane as the baddie. The only scene where you meet the baddie was it would often be a clack of pool balls and a, an arse in a thong going <laughs> past the, the lens would be the wipe that got you into the gangsters having the chat. We were going to have that opening shot wherever he was. If he was in the <laughs> toilet, there'd be a clack of pool balls and an arse would go across and he'd be on the bog or in a train in a car. And it's just after a while you start to see that rhythm of going, this is because it's quite boring filming. Yeah, and if someone yeah. said, tomorrow there's going to be a load of women scantily clad yeah yeah I think it's still I think maybe you get away with it then a bit more but it's they're still doing it what I'm you saying is people making things stop doing it because yes, it's, it's just it's, it's so weird we, yeah. um, we, we worked on a, a series for Charlie I think it was How TV Ruined Your Life mm. um, there was a thing in there that he wrote which was a clip from a TV channel which just featured porn actors reading out the messages from black box recorders <laughs> right and at the rap party oh, the, the, this, uh, this porn actor uh, came along to the rap party and I got talking to her and I said to her can I ask you this is a work question right but I want to know this you've obviously had breast enhancement surgery yes I have I said, can you claim the tax back on that? Is that a claimable expense? And she said, yes, it is. I would say it would fall under haircuts, clothing, that sort of thing. It's tricky. But you must if, need a haircut for a particular I, yeah, job absolutely, at some point, he, don't you? Or is that hair department to do it? He always says, my accountant says, it's sometimes best not to... Um, to if you start putting in like hair, haircuts and things like that, it can be a bit... Brilliant. You can basically flag up things. That <laughs> <laughs> you're the kind of person yeah. who claims haircuts yeah. and, and breast and, enhancements. And they'll go, I, I don't believe you've worn £10,000 worth of your own clothes this year on television. <laughs> that sort of thing. Whereas if you're Eamon Holmes, one day I wish. Yeah. Yeah, he can definitely claim for all of his suits. You're, you're, you're having surgery to look like Eamon Holmes, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> Absolutely can't wait. That's tax deductible. <laughs> well, listen, we've re reached Eamon Holmes, which means we can sink no further. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tony Way, thank you very much for coming on Rule of Three. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> you see, Mortimer, William has already made us a profit of $15,000. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to break something, man? No. 